With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, And we have a lot to talk about on this show. And we also have a guest that we're going to bring on, a special guest that some of y'all may be pretty familiar with. But before we get into all that, Brett, the last week saw a lot happen in terms of Arizona football, the Pac-12, college football and athletics as a whole. And I say this knowing that we're recording on August 5th, so recording Wednesday night. By the time this gets posted, everything could change in terms of college athletics going forward because it's such a fluid situation. But let's talk with the things that probably won't change, at least in the intermediate time. Arizona picked up a couple more recruits on the football team for 2021. Uh, offensive tackle Cade Parrish committed, and then linebacker Casey Asai also committed. So the recruiting for Arizona keeps on rolling. Yeah, we're on pace for a 75-man class by the uh, start of the season, <laughs> <laughs> especially if it gets delayed. Um, yeah, no, another guy, couple of guys that kind of fit the trend of what we've seen with the commits so far in this class. Uh, Cade Parrish, I think, is you know not super highly rated, but he has a different story, right? Because I'm pretty sure he went on a Mormon mission for two years, so he is basically a, a, like a JUCO a, guy. A JUCO guy, yeah, six so five, two ninety-five. Like so he's he is, big. He is a he is a grown man. So you got to imagine he's coming back and they're hoping that at worst he's adding some size and depth and maybe that has that physical maturity to be able to come in and play right away. Yeah. And then Osai is a guy that another one of those um, Texas Texas defender guys that we seem to be very keen on in this class that doesn't have a huge offer list, but seems to be somebody that people kind of have some faith, uh, pretty high level high school program, I believe, in Texas, which you know, this is one of those guys that maybe he would be a four-star in Arizona. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, he's a middling three-star in Texas. You know, but again, it's, you know, they're not they're not the flashy names, but you, you, you got to kind of like what you see. Yeah, well, you it fits into the trend, like you said. Like, um, Parrish, 6'5", big guy, 295. His other offers are like Hawaii, Liberty, San Jose State, Weber State. So not exactly the who's who. Like, we talked last week about some of the guys they got, like, ooh, these are good offer lists. This one didn't have a huge offer list, but also offensive line is one where if you have this size and if they have the athletic ability, then you're going to trust your coaches to get them to a level where they can contribute and be valuable members of the team. And if this guy clearly has the size, and of course we'll have to see if he has the ability. But also he's another one, like the recruiting areas, and you see all the stuff about where people are getting their players from. ASU has been raiding California, right? Which isn't bad. California has some talent. Arizona, Louisiana, Texas, also not bad 
And this guy, his brother plays for Texas and was their leading tackler last season. Um, his offer list, Air Force, Army, Dartmouth, Houston Baptist. So, again, not one that you're going to say, wow, they stole this guy. They out-recruited Dartmouth for him. You know, <laughs> you're not going to say that. But you see how he could fit in, and you see if you watch the film, like, okay, there's some potential there. And it just fits in with his entire class where, you know, I don't think either of us are saying, wow, Arizona's going to – this is a Pac-12 title-type class. But right now, they're sixth in the Pac-12 according to 247 Sports, 43rd nationally. That will, of course, continue to change. But it's better than we expected or better than we probably could have hoped for. And not to say better than we could have hoped for when Kevin Sullivan was hired, but certainly better than we could have hoped for after two years of Kevin Sullivan and nine wins. Yeah, and, you know, we talked, uh, what, maybe two months ago about the lack of depth in the long term at the linebacker spot, especially the inside linebackers. Boy, we got a lot of guys that are, are you know, they're going to have a lot of pieces to play around with in the in the coming years, the new defensive staff, assuming they're still around. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's it like like you know, this doesn't. There's no star power in these commits. The most recent ones, maybe when you were going back to a couple of weeks ago with uh, Clay Millen and and uh, oh, and Tyrese Johnson, on, yeah, Tyrese Johnson, Johnson, yeah. You know, but if you can build this class out to kind of be like that 2019 class that I always go back to, if you have a high hit rate, you build depth. That's how you at least get to you know bowl eligibility. And then you hope to supplement that continually with a few stars, and maybe maybe there's still a chance of claiming some of the higher-rated guys. Um, you know, we'll see. That we're running out of spots in the class to squeeze in a few high-rated guys. Twenty-one hard commits, according to Two Four Seven Sports. Twenty-one. I think twenty-five is the maximum they can take in this class, and obviously things can be a little bit wonky based on well, college athletics right now. But yeah. they can always fudge things and put them in one class, or you know, if they need to. Yeah, and there's and let's be let's be real. There's the chance of all twenty one of these guys signing on national the national letter of intent day is yeah, probably zero percent, right? Well, I think there was um, one was it Jamari and Peterson. I think saw like a old Miss offer or something or one of these like, and I was like, yeah, he's like, oh man, that's great. It's like, oh, okay, this sucks. but that's how it's gonna be, right? And when you're Arizona, that's how it's been. Yeah, my my favorite thing is. Arizona fans, especially on Twitter and the boards, they uh, somebody like Peterson, Jamarian Peterson, will be like, uh, he's just another middling three-star commit. And then all the some more offers roll in, and they go, oh, well, he's gone. We can't even keep the good guys. And it's like, you, you, <laughs> you know, you have re- it both ways. You really, you really can't. And I think that's just the angst of the last couple of years of losing seasons. But, you know, it, it's that that kind of... Those offers coming in, especially when nobody can go to camps right now, shows you that people have, you know, at bigger programs have some respect for at least for some of these guys that we're picking up commits from. Yeah, and of course, until Arizona loses these commits, that then it does, they haven't lost them, right? Then they're still committed to Arizona, and maybe they get to signing day and they stay, right? Like, and they do sign with Arizona. You're like, okay, that's good. And of course, they're going to lose some players. That happens every class. And it'll happen, it'll continue to happen unless Arizona gets to a level where it's like players really like, oh, I got an Arizona offer. Yeah, I can't turn that down. When Arizona gets to that level, if Arizona ever gets to that level, then it changes, right? Like you don't often hear of like, I guess basketball players don't often decommit. You don't hear of players decommitting from Arizona basketball too often. And it has happened. It's like, were they really committed in the first place? Arizona really want them? Were they recruited over? There's always things like that. Football, there's obviously way more players involved. 
But Arizona football is Arizona football. And for a lot of these players, it might have been like they took they like Arizona. They like this coaching staff. And like, ooh, a Pac-12 offer. I haven't gotten one of those yet. A Power 5 school. I'm going to jump on that. And then as the recruiting cycle goes along, and to your point, if there's no games this fall and winter, who knows how this goes. But when bigger schools, better programs start offering, they're like, oh, you mean I'm good enough to play there too? Interesting. So that's that's where it comes down to winning. Like if Arizona and someone, if they can find a way to start winning games and show that progress, then you're more likely to keep these players. But until they sign on the dotted line, yeah, all they are are, you know, commits. They're not like recruits or I, I guess how would you say they're not signees. So they're not they're not Wildcats yet, but they're closer to being a Wildcat than any other mascot, if that's they're, what I say. They're commits with air quotes yeah right? yeah and, and, and there's, so we don't there's know. nothing there's, legally binding <laughs> and we don't know which of these guys will flip to other schools and of course arizona is likely to flip other players to come sunny that that just happens and it's always like an arizona flips are like all oh, right yeah i love this and when they lose it it's like ah screw that guy for deciding to go somewhere else like that's that's college football that's college athletics and especially in a time like this when they can't really go on all the visits they can't have everything like they normally do it's a weird recruiting cycle, and we'll see how that benefits or hurts schools going forward, like when it kind of evens out and when signing day comes. Well, at least we don't have Willie Taggart at Oregon to steal like a fourth of our recruiting class in the last two weeks like he did a few <laughs> years back. That was that was a time. Yeah, that, that was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of those things where it's like, hey, you want to know why you lose depth? Things like that. <laughs> Well, that's where they always show, like the recruiter rankings, and I think Dante Williams, who's now at USC, and his tour uh, at twelve, he's I moved think down so. there, and he's like My number th- one. It's like okay, hey, you can't split up family according to Dante Williams. You can move that of course, family though. Of course, well, of course, you, you can, can work for le- you can work for less than one calendar year and effectively have Arizona pay pay him to recruit for Oregon. <laughs> well, Oregon <laughs> needed the help. They they struggle in recruiting, so it, it's only fair. yeah that Arizona would be charitable like that. But so that that's a recruiting 21 hard commits. And there are certain guys here where obviously if they lose them and they'll, the coaching staff knows which are they're like, they're super hard. Like they're, they're coming to Arizona, which ones they have to work harder on. And, but that's how it goes. Right. I, was it Rich Rodriguez when it was like, if they commit to Arizona, but then they want to take visits elsewhere, they're like, okay, we're going to rescind that offer. Like if you're going to flirt with other schools and we don't want you anyway, I, it's, I don't know if that's, if that's something that someone does, I don't even know if it would make any sense right now, especially just where things are at. Yeah, and like that's one of those things where like Rich Rod was trying to be like this old school kind of guy. And there's some Rich Rod things that I think were right there. He's like, you shouldn't have a, a national signing day. If somebody wants to commit, they should be able to commit whenever they want to and sign the paper, right? And that would kind of co- have the impact of slowing down some of the mess <laughs> that happens with college that would recruiting. Change as, things too. Guys wouldn't commit nearly as soon though, and then you'd have well, play, you'd have programs waiting toward the last second whenever there's like a deadline for guys to commit to and well, actually sign. The, who would hurt the most is probably the big schools that keep guys warm in the back burner. Yeah. And then like, you know, was it was it Cody Shear who Oregon was the dream offer and then literally at five AM the morning of signing day, an hour before he was going to sign with Arizona, uh got the offer. And was now it, he's over was at, it he's with ASU, I think. So Yeah. You know, dream schools all around. <laughs> well, Arizona but, needs to become someone's dream school. Someone good, someone who's really good. Arizona needs to be their dream school. Yeah. Moral of the story: uh, When it comes to recruiting and the narrative, don't invest your emotional well-being in the decision making of seventeen and eighteen year olds. 
No, no, and you don't blame them either, though. Like I know you have a theory, Brett. Like guys who flip at the very la- very end are probably not likely to be either successful at the college level or committed to wherever they end up at the college level. But you think when we're 17, 18 years old, this is a huge decision for your life. If you end up at the right program, maybe you end up going to the NFL. And if you end up at the wrong place, maybe you don't get drafted and your road is that much harder. Like It's a really big decision to have to make. And like we're watching kids make this in August when signing day isn't for months away. It's like no one makes you commit. And like that's when you say you don't have to commit to Arizona right now, right? If you're not totally sold that you're going to go to school in Tucson, you don't have to commit to Arizona. But I also just don't blame a guy for when they do commit. And if two months later, their whatever their dream school was says, hey, we'd like to bring you on now. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. I have to think about that because I haven't gone to Arizona. I haven't done anything for them. I'm not a wildcat yet. Like, I get it. It's unfortunate when you're the Arizona of that group, but I get it. Yeah, I mean, luckily, the Braxton Burmeisters of the world who commit, decommit, recommit, decommit, <laughs> and then go to Oregon and then transfer. And I think he maybe even transferred again after that. Like, he's the poster boy for four-star recruit everybody was excited about. And, like, you know, sometimes I... Th- my, my the the basic crux of my theory is some of those kids. I don't blame people for keeping their options open, but I think the people that are most likely to flip are the people that most like are most likely to enjoy the recruiting, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and the they attention like rather than yeah rather than like saying who is the coaching staff that I think can develop me the most or that I am the most connected with or the best role for me, etc. Um, I I still you know. Maybe we should get uh, Rob Bowron on that. Say, hey, run. He's the data guy. He go, is. Go run like 20,000 decommit flips over the last like 10 years. I you want to put Rob to work, though. Be like, hey, go do this for us now. Go through every decommitment and see how they did it. <laughs> I mean, you're not busy, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there as an idea. It's not a bad idea. And the one thing to also remember is a lot of the commitments, and again, this is almost like. We're hedging like, oh, look at all these recruits that we're excited about. None of them are going to make it to Tucson. Like, we're not saying that. But just as we get not excited, but as we're pleased with this class, it's going to change by the time they can sign with Arizona. And some of the players are most excited about they're going to lose probably, or they might. And then some players that we're maybe not highlighting are going to be the ones that ends up being stars for Arizona. That's how this works. So, you know, we'll just have to see. But up until this point, Arizona, again, according to 247 Sports, number six in the Pac-12, number 43 national. Not great, but certainly better than we were expecting from a coaching staff that very well could be on the way out or maybe would be on the way out in a normal recruiting cycle, normal season, normal calendar. Yeah. So, well, we talked about putting our old friend Rob to work. We're not going to do that, but when we come back from this break... We're going to talk about Arizona's schedule and a certain prediction that had them going winless with an old friend. Sounds good. And we're back. And since we lasted a show, Arizona, I guess, found out who they're going to play this season and when they're allegedly going to play them. The Pac-12 did announce a schedule. Um, It's different than what we thought it was going to be. Arizona and the new schedule opens up at home against ASU on September 26th. So a week one duel in the desert territorial cup out of the way week one this season, of course, the rest of the schedule um, to help talk about this and an interesting prediction that came about. We bring in old friend Ronnie Stoffel and Ron, dude, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0 now. 
Yeah, dude. Thanks. Thanks. I know it, it's been a while. It's um, and, you know, the off season just uh, continues to grow. Uh, ho- hopefully, hopefully this this uh, schedule does happen. We'll obviously touch on it. But yeah, no, it feels good to be back on. And uh, Brett, obviously, this is the first time you and I are are, are crossing over here. So no, ha- happy to be here for sure. Yeah, welcome back, Ronnie. Uh, though, Adam, am I getting fired? Is that why Ronnie's back? <gasps> No, as <laughs> so no, 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 no. When I, when I introduce people <laughs> I getting... to you, Brett, you guys become best friends, and I'm going to be left out probably. So prepare for the <laughs> Ronnie and Brett show. I think is what we're going forward. There's, there's a long running history of that. That that story checks out. <laughs> so welcome, my new best friend, Ronnie. All right, I like it. I, that rolls right off the tongue too. I, I dig it. No, like the schedule came out late last week, and Ronnie, we were texting, and you were pretty fired up. And we can go over the schedule, but we'll get out of the way. Uh, Stuart Mandel of The Athletic, which I pay for. I subscribe to The Athletic. Like their coverage generally. I saw this. He was doing his predictions for the Pac-12. I was giving his records. And you go through, and you're like, okay, this seems reasonable. That seems reasonable. He gets to Arizona and says Arizona's going to go 0-10. and 10. They're going to go winless in 2020. And I... I'm sure there are a lot of people who think we're kind of homers and we're all U of A fans. Like we admit that like Brett's wearing a U of A hat right now. As we record, I'm wearing U of A shirt. You have U of A stuff on your wall behind you. We all want U of A to be good. None of us are predicting Arizona to win the Pac-12 South. I was predicting them to go 500 even, but winless. That seems a bit of a stretch. I will, uh, Adam, I'll, I'll level set with this. Um, I, I also subscribe to The Athletic, and as, as you know, you know we, we, we have a, uh, a decent relationship with C.J. Holmes, right? Friend of the podcast. We've had him on a couple times. So um, before, we, we really, before we really touch on the Stuart Mandel piece, I do want to say that overall, The Athletic produces good content. They do. Okay? They do. Yeah. No, so I, this, what I'm about to say is nothing to do with everybody <laughs> else, but... Uh, that is absolutely absurd. I, I am. I am sorry. I. It's funny. I. I. I was reading it and just out of curiosity because I was kind of getting a little excited, right? About oh, right, yeah, right. Some predictions, schedule set. Let's see how it goes. Still not totally buying into the fact that the season's going to happen, or or even given the news today that it's going to get off the ground. But you know, at that point in time, kind of get excited looking at it. And they did the North first. Okay, it kind of checks out. Cal slightly overrated, you know, over Washington, whatever. You, you nitpick, whatever. You Keep that. going down. Keep going down south. And then it's like, okay, well, obviously USC, ASU, Utah, UCLA. And where I expected us to land at number five was Colorado. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, he has Colorado at one and nine? What does that mean <laughs> for us? And then, of course, lo and behold, 0 and 10, winless. I'm sorry, this is not a, an all or nothing proposition, right? As you pointed out, we are not saying that the pack that, that, that the Wildcats are going to win the Pac-12 South. That's not going to happen. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But by no means, I'm sorry, the offense is not 0-10 bad. That's insane. I understand all the skepticism behind the defense, uh, you know, the coaching changes, the, the lack of depth, right? Losing many key pieces in the offseason. Um, but just, I mean, that, that, that's just so asinine to me. There, there's no way we are definitely better than Colorado and we have Colorado at home. And again, the offense better than Owen 10, we will stumble <laughs> into another game just out of sheer luck, right? But outscoring the opponent, that's it. 
Yeah, I think I made the joke on the Twitter machine that if that's the over under, I'll take the over at zero wins. <laughs> I'll take I, that. Yeah. Now going now, I would I would say going winless and going zero and ten are two different things in uh, the times of the Rona. I, I was texting Ronnie earlier. I'm like, you know, Mandel may be right when Arizona wins all of zero games because they play all of zero games, and Arizona is tied with everyone else in the country at zero wins. And Brent and I have talked on the show like. The offense should be good, right, with Grant Cannell. Like, we believe in the offense. Gary Brightwell at running back, assuming the offensive line can stay healthy, the Wildcats should put up points. Now, their defense gets a hit because, well, one, they've lost some players, but also they had a new coaching staff, new scheme that did not get an entire offseason to install itself and really get the hang of everything. But, yeah, like you look at this schedule, and Arizona, they kind of got hosed in that they added a road game. So they don't have like the off the off balance. Hey, an extra home game compared to a road game, and then of course they added Cal, but miss Washington State. So you're like, okay, it could have been could have been better. And I guess I don't know. I, I have a hard time getting fired up over the schedule. Like the, the zero win prediction was like, yeah, there's there's no way. I agree with you. The offense is better than zero wins. I have a hard time looking at the schedule. Like, oh, win here, win here, lost there, win there, lost there. I'm like, we did it for AZ Desert Swarm, but just. We don't know what these teams are going to look like. If they play, who knows what this season looks like? You know, which teams are maybe missing players who are sitting out, opting out? Arizona already had Kevin Doyle opt out of the season. Now he's not a starter, but that's one player. There's going to be more. And who's going to get sick? Who's going to get injured? Like, there's always so many things. And just this season, it's, it's just so weird. But <laughs> zero wins. I, we've seen some bad Arizona teams. And granted, they had the benefit of non-conference patsies and cupcakes. But zero wins? <laughs> <laughs> like now watch it happen right watch this be the cold takes episode of the wildcat radio 2.0 but i i agree with you they, they host colorado colorado can't beat arizona they go to tucson and like that's colorado's one win is against arizona come on yeah i think that there's a there's almost as much of a likelihood of Arizona remaining undefeated in 2020 as going winless in 2020 by the fact that I just don't know if there's going to be a season. But I, yeah, I'm 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 with you guys. I don't see how you don't trip over yourself into at least one or two wins, right? I I, I just I. Look, every year there's a surprising win. It doesn't matter how good, how bad the team. There's always a surprising win, right? And then of course there's there was talk today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. When was the last time we were winless? Right. So first and foremost, now, of course, the caveat comes with, you know, what you talked about the pile on games, those tune up games, the non-conference stuff that's non-existent this year. Um, so you're talking a full slate, 10 games of conference power five opponents. I get all that. That's that, you know, whatever. Fine. Um, but it, it just it just blows my mind to think that that could actually happen now. Uh, could it happen? Sure. I mean, why not? I mean, crazy things happen, right? I, I, fine. Wh- whatever. Fine. Um, but then, of course, you know, Adam, you wrote your piece on AZ Desert Swarm talking about how the Territorial Cup deserves better than than, than the season opener, for crying out loud. And then, of course, comes out the news today. We're recording this on, on Wednesday, August 5th. And, and you know, come out today that uh, my, uh, Ray Anderson or, or was it Michael Crow? Crow? I think. My, yeah. Michael Crow He's came out and saying that... Uh, it, it, it's very likely that that season opener will be moved anyway. So, you know, it's already already all read this the column, tone everyone. setting. And, read the column, even yeah, if it's going to be a moot point. And, you know, please read it. AZ Desert Swarm. <laughs> like it, comment, all that. Yeah, just, just get some buzz like going it, on just it. Just please read it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's fair. Click on it. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's it just, you know, it's it just funny because it's like, you know, this is not even a week old schedule and already some higher ups are already saying, uh, well, you know, we, we had those two built in weeks. Well, we're probably already going to exercise that option right off the bat because it's not looking good. It's like, OK, great. So where does that really leave us? But but, you know, I, regardless, right. Adam, you and I kind of texted about this too, right? As far as ASU is concerned, look, let, let's just be honest. Yes, obviously ASU is the better team, okay? That's fine. I, I have no problem conceding that point. Um, however, rivalry game, season opener, everyone basically being on the same timeline as no tune-up games, um, limited preseason activities, just everything. I mean, who knows, right? No fans in the stands, so that probably assists ASU, but... I mean, come on, that just it's not a surefire at this point. None of these are. Yeah, one thing with the... Uh, I, I actually feel like the Pac-12 tried to do things in a way that is as smart as they could maybe possibly do, given the circumstances, but with reversing and leaving in those bye weeks for reverse, you know, flexible dates. The, and I still think that flexibility is going to be gone by about two weeks from now. Um but the thing, the other thing that hurts, I think, from an Arizona fan's perspective, is with those cupcakes to start, and then uh, you know having Stanford, who's a team in turmoil, and UCLA to start the season, you would feel a lot better about getting some momentum with the young team and the new defense. And now you go ASU, Washington, uh, then you get a little bit of a break with Colorado, and then you got USC and Utah for the first five games. If that new defensive scheme is not ready to go, that it's going to be a little rough, <laughs> especially for that first game against ASU, because Jaden Daniels is. You know, maybe I, I would contend is a little bit overrated, but he is an effective player and it doesn't turn the ball over much and a guy that's hard to corral. So that's going to be tough for with a new scheme in my mind. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you, you look at a team like Arizona going into whatever this season is with a new quarterback who obviously Ganell played some last season, started a couple of games. So he's not inexperienced, but he's still a new starting, you know, full-time number one guy. A defense that, well, now you're down Tony Fields, you're down one of the young safeties, you have an entirely new coaching staff on that side of the ball, a new scheme. You could use those cupcake games, those non-conference games. You could use Portland State. You could have used Hawaii at home, right? And if you beat Texas Tech, now you had three wins, which was possible. You're like, hey, it may not be a lot of wins this season, but there's three right off the bat. Now you just got to win three more. Okay, you beat Colorado, and you beat maybe Oregon State, but you have that momentum. You have that, at least for a few weeks, you feel pretty good about things. You lose that now. And to start a lot of people, and when I wrote this come up, you're like, oh, we'd rather have that rivalry game early. It gets people excited, gets them into the season. It's like, well, shoot, if there's any live sports, I think, that matters, people are excited. It doesn't have to be ace. You could have been Arizona, Oregon State. People would still be pumped about that game. But to me, just this whole offseason is so clunky where I don't see this in the column. I don't see either team being totally prepared for a game. Now, granted, they each have the same disadvantages in terms of getting ready for this game, for this individual game, but they haven't had their offseason. They haven't had any tune-up games, and we've seen some ugly territorial cups, but this one will be ugly, I would think, because these players just aren't going to be prepared, and that would be the case if they were playing Washington week one, too. Like, just the early season games, especially if they're a month from now, a little more than a month from now, I don't see how that goes off smoothly. Now, Will these games happen? And to Michael Crow's saying already, a week, the schedule, like you said, the week, the schedule hasn't been out for more than a week, and they're like, oh, yeah, they're probably not going to do week one. Well, okay, well, then I guess October 3rd is the opener. That's, now that's at Washington. So Arizona's probably going to get destroyed in that game if it happens. But you keep pushing things back. I just, I don't, 
I'm not a big schedule guy. It's never been my thing to just break things down because you don't know. There's always going to be injuries. There's always going to be teams that surprise you, that disappoint you. There's going to be players that step up. But I have a hard time going over this one because everything is so abnormal to where to predict anything. Like, yeah, Washington, they have a new coach. You know, that changes things. A new quarterback, right? Like, it, it changes something. We don't know Washington. They don't have the tune-up games either. You know, Colorado at home should be a win in normal circumstances because they look like legit Stuart Mandel. Colorado is the worst team in the Pac-12 as far as anyone knows. And they happen to be on Arizona's schedule, fortuitously. That's a good thing this season. The one thing I'm interested in, and I know your guys' thoughts on this, is that let's just say there's no fans at games this season because it seems unlikely there's going to be fans, at least not like a normal season. Arizona hosts the Territorial Cup this season. I feel like they should host it again next season when there can actually be fans. Otherwise, essentially, you get back-to-back ASU home games, right? Like, yeah, this game may be in Tucson. It will be in Tucson. But without any fans, it's not really a home field advantage for the Wildcats. They would kind of get hosed in that regard. I definitely, you know, that's certainly something I've thought of. And I don't know if there is a, almost like with the NFL, like if you play one game, it triggers all the contracts, right? So like if you play one week, does that then trigger all the schedules and then all of the South opponents then flip to, you know, just so like, for instance, right? Like we're, we're supposed to host uh, the Territorial Cup this year. Say that, you know, say week one doesn't happen September 26th and that game's postponed one of the bye weeks. And then we actually open the season in Seattle against Washington. Does that then trigger everything like, you know, and then for next year that we're back in, in Tempe just to kind of keep the every other thing going? Or I, I really, I, it's a great question and I'm not sure how that works, but, but I'm totally with you. I mean, I definitely think that if there is something to be said for this, that I do hope that, you know, uh, those home in a ways that, that, that were supposed to happen this year. Uh, if they don't happen, that then carries over into next year. Um, not just for Arizona, right? Everyone that Arizona's going everyone. to should yeah. get to have the home game again next season, if that's the schedule. Like, to me, this schedule, 2020, is basically, it gets punted, right? Like, if you play it, if you can, but even if you do play it, it almost doesn't count in terms of the rotations. You go back to the normal schedule. You go back to the 2020 schedule in 2021. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't want to have to basically play in back-to-back seasons. Obviously, there would be a gap year, but I don't want to have to play two straight seasons in Autzen. <laughs> I don't want to have to go up to Eugene and do that. That doesn't sound fun. Like I, I would hope that there, there would be some, um, some fairness built into that. But, but, but I guess, so let's just say that, you know, okay, we play half the season. Is there, the question probably becomes, is there a home field advantage still? You listen to some of these baseball games, right? There is obviously some noise being pumped in. And, and frankly, Adam, Brett, I mean, we're probably not going to like this answer anyway, but what's capacity at these home games for us anyway? I mean, <laughs> no, we, I understand we, the, we've, the, we've the, the, the that the teacup's different. Yeah, I mean, I understand teacup's different. But, you know, if you're saying, you know, we're hosting Oregon, and at that point the season, Oregon, that's our third to last game, we're – we're, we're one in five going into that game in Oregon, what is seven, whatever, you know, whatever they are, um, who would really show up for the game anyway. It's usually, there's crowd, or excuse me, there, there's like noise control anyway, right? It's always, it's always that noise being pumped into the stadium. So um, I do think that there could be some advantage at least because, you know, the guys upstairs could be controlling the noise, which, uh, you know, which, which basically... Uh, would just replicate what the crowd would be, but 
you can't replicate the buzz and the energy that the crowd would actually bring in that scenario. So I get that. Yeah, I think the the only other thing would be that if you know they're like Major League Baseball, they're actually traveling, so the home team is getting to like sleep in their own beds and not have to be getting on a plane or on a bus or you know that whole rigmarole. But yeah, I think I think your I think your question is more of a a financial question for the schools, Adam, because I think yeah. that's where <laughs> that's really what the whole reason why we're probably still trying to have a college football season at this point is mainly because there's so much damn money on the line. And yeah, if it wasn't for the money, that it would have been canceled, you know, months ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I think I, I think your point is well taken though, because like for for a school like U of A that have, hosting that ASU game, you know that. That's a significant chunk of revenue. That one game, being able to host it in those years, right? And I'm sure they're going to at least try to make that push. And maybe you can do that in the in the in the conference play. I doubt because of all the contracts and stuff for like non-con games, you'd be able to kind of flip things around or, yeah, I think those or are push gone. things out. Whatever. Was I think those are. This year, I think yeah. those are gone. Take that, Portland State. You're not getting our money. <laughs> yeah, and then, gosh, hopefully, I mean, hopefully that was a surefire game, and here we are saying <laughs> we're going to win at least one game, but we, we've definitely seen what happens when we pay to play teams and they beat us, uh, BYU. But uh, one Arizona thing I will say... BYU to play those games? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we, that's we got unfortunate. Both of them, 2016 and last year. Yeah, it was bad. Um. One quick thought, though, right? So I understand, and, and Brett, I actually think you're 100% correct. I mean, obviously, uh, the, there are heavy financial implications on that, right? And so it's really the, the verbiage built into all the contracts and all the legalese, whatever, fine. Um, but, but I guess, you know, one thing that I do kind of want to circle back to as far as, uh, you know, why we think the team is capable of winning uh, at least a game, right? I mean, we kind of touch on it as far as the offense, you know, is not 0-10 bad. But, uh, I mean, just to provide context, though, right? I mean, you know, like we are basically returning the same offensive line that we had last year. Uh, obviously, the asterisk on that is is the Edgar Barola bit, but, but, but I do feel <laughs> that – which <laughs> – Another conversation for another time, but I, I, I do think that I, I do think that this coaching staff, if they have done something well, it is it's been Adam. You and I have talked about this in the past. As as someone was coming in and everything is you know inside out approach, right? They're building in the trenches, JUCO guys, and they definitely put an emphasis on size up front. Well, no, so there's I a reason think- why the transition from you to Brett was so smooth is because it's been the same show essentially. So, yeah, we're all in agreement on that. <laughs> we've, yeah, we're no, all excited. We've all been pleased to see that development in terms of the building of the size and the lines and all that. We re- we really have this great tension in the show of always agreeing about everything. <laughs> it makes for great entertainment value. But uh, no, Ronnie, I think you're, I think you're right because when Adam was talking about uh, about that, like how ugly the games are going to be coming in, you know, with all these teams that happen, you know didn't have a full spring practice. A lot of them have new, you know, tons of new players, new coaching staffs, like Arizona's, for an example. Uh, you know, I got to think the, the teams are going to win early are those ones that can minimize mistakes, run the ball effectively, control the clock, and have a quarterback that's not going to turn the ball over. And that's how you can steal some games. And in that respect, you know, look at our O-line that comes back, the talent and depth there, a quarterback that is an effective game manager. If he's not a superstar, he's makes smart decisions, makes, you know, throws to the check down once in a while, which was something our prior starting quarterback was loath to do. Mm-hmm. And we've got a pretty strong stable of running backs. And if you can, you know, control the clock for 
38 minutes out of a game, you know, minimize the time that your your uncertain defense is on the field, you know, maybe you can surprise some people. The blueprint of the season is, from an offensive standpoint anyway, is likely the Texas Tech game from last year, right? Where we just ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball, completely controlled the clock. Um, defensively, I mean, that's a whole other thing, right? Because you could argue, I mean, the defense just played out of their minds in that game. I, off the top of my head, I think the final score was 28-14, right? And it, uh, that 28th or the fourth touchdown came, that final driver, they just marched down the, the field. The entire I think way. Yeah. entire way, 90 yards, 90-plus yards, just incredible. That's the blueprint for this team, right? Because, again, at going back several seasons at this point, the week – the Achilles heel of this team will once again be the defense, even though I do I do like the coaching changes. I do like what happened um, overall. But but absolutely, Brett, I mean, that's it, right? It's the strong stable of backs is still there, basically returning the entire offensive line from last year. Grant Cannell, I mean, he, he we know we have an idea of what he is and and, and obviously we have aspirations or or you know hope that that he can be even better than, than what we think he is. Wide receivers, you know, hopefully, you know, I, there, there are pieces there, but hopefully that's not really what we're relying on. It's, it's honestly just kind of some old school stuff. I, I, I really, I, I think, question for both of you guys, right? Let's, let's actually say that this season, let's say that, that, that we're able to complete the season. All 10 games are played, and we do go 1-9, and 2-8. and eight. Does Kevin Sumlin return? Depends on how that one and nine, two and eight came to be, in my opinion. Like, never mind like the money aspect of things, right? Could Arizona afford to fire Kevin? So now the buyout's a lot cheaper after this season. But if Arizona's competitive in these games, because the schedule isn't easy, right? <laughs> I mean, no. it, like we broke it down to some. Uh, you and I both running. I think Arizona for three wins this season. Yeah. So I guess one or two wins or zero is less than we predicted. But Brian and I have talked. It's like I don't think someone deserves an excuse for this season. But they need to show some progress, and that could be in competitive losses. That could be in Grant Cannell and Booby Curry and Bobby Wolf and some of the someone recruits being good, being productive players, being cornerstones of the team or the program. Then you could say, you know what, they can build on that for next season. Now, if they get blown out, if it's a repeat of last season, of 2019, then yes, because there's no progress happening. But I think there's a, there's a world where they could win two games, three games, and you say, you know what, they are making progress. Like it might be a home review, but I could see that world happening. Brett, real quick before you hop in, Adam, just one point on that. Is it possible to say that progress is the recruiting class that he's building for 2021? I understand that on the field performance matters. And I'm actually of, of the stance that he probably deserves a pass in the season, no matter what happens, just given how funky the off season was. But, but in your mind, could he, should he get credit simply for the recruiting class that he's no. built for next year? No, because if the okay. previous recruiting classes aren't playing well, aren't leading to victories and improved performance on the field, then why should anyone believe that the 2021 class will be any different? So Fair. to me, if, this, if they start to show progress now in year three with some of his guys, most of his guys being the key players, then you could say they're recruiting the right players and they're coaching them up. But if you don't see any progress on the field, then I don't see how you got the 2021 class and say, yep, that's going to be the one that turns things around. Brett? So I, I generally agree with what Adam has said. I, I would say to that last point, I think someone considering 
how behind the eight ball he was after our athletic director so clunkily uh, <laughs> was passing around the hat to maybe fund a buyout, and he still is, I, I would say, recruited for this class so far respect, you know, respectably, and maybe even surprisingly well, all things considered. Um, I, I think that at the end of the day, the financial thing is going to win out almost regardless because there's, there's going to be no money. Uh, but other except for in this scenario that we play a full 10-game season, it sounds to me like we probably developed a vaccine. And given that Arizona is the Harvard of Arizona, probably some donor uh, of ours will own the, the, the trait or the copyright to that, you know, that miracle cure and will then donate to the Arizona football program and we can do whatever we want with financially. So, you know, if that's, the, if that's how it plays out, then maybe Kevin Sumlin is more, more at risk. But, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with Adam that, you know, I think with the way the schedule is laid out, too, and, like, you know, missing out on spring practice with the new defensive staff and new scheme, I think, really hurts them. Um, that said, I think they can maybe hide behind that offense, taking that blueprint. Um, and the other, the, though, I will say, if if the new defensive staff has our corners playing 15 yards off uh, the receiver on third and four, <laughs> if I ever see that again in my life, I will just say <laughs> fire them tomorrow. Like I just <laughs> that, that will never that will never not make me angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Marcel Yates. Uh, now don't do not apologize to him, Brett. That's fine. <laughs> but like, but Ronnie, what do you, what do you think? Because I don't think like neither Brett nor I are anti someone. And we see what he's doing with the recruiting and what they're trying to do. And maybe this is the coaching staff defensively that he should have had originally, right? Like he kept mm-hmm. Marcel Yates probably a season and a half too long. And we understand that Rich Rodriguez is not exactly the cupboard stocked full of talent, especially stocked full of players who fit a Kevin Sumlin system. Now, you could argue that a coach's job is to maximize the talent they have, you know, and that Arizona should have been a, to a – they should have made a bowl game at least one of the last two seasons. I mean, they should have beat mm-hmm. ASU – in 2018 and would have gone to a bowl game, right? So, like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, a collapse or a missed field goal away. They're in a bowl game, and the narrative's different. But even with all that, even if you say, okay, there's signs of, I guess, there's signs of progress in recruiting, which there seem to be. If you don't see those signs of progress on the field, how can you trust that he has things going in the right direction? I think to answer that piece, Adam, I, I, I have always felt, and, and I mean, it's very true unless you're recruiting, you know, high end four star guys, five star guys, um, recruiting is a lagging indicator, right? So what I mean by that, of course, is like, you know, what he's doing the last couple of years also, unless I guess you could, there's a case to be made for, uh, you know, JUCO guys, grad transfers, right? Because I mean, those are plug and play immediate type of guys, but it, largely recruiting, you're getting guys out of high school, right? And it takes time to develop them, right? And especially at the caliber that we're getting them at those, you know, mid to high-end three-star guys, it takes time. You know, like, it's completely different speed, all that, you know, all the cliches, that all exists, right? So I do believe, first and foremost, that there's a little bit of leeway to that. So then, of course, the counter to that becomes, well, this is going to be his third year. Okay, so, yes. Technically, that is true. Um, technically, also, what is true is that his first year, he came in so late in the game that the recruiting class was basically already set up. And even though he was able to snag Grant Cannell and Booby Curry, I understand that Bobby Wolf, you know, like some key pieces, and those guys will likely play very key roles this year. 
Um, but I, I, I think overall, it's not as clean cut as just saying, oh, like he has to be competitive out there. I, I do agree that that's a part of the equation. I, I don't think it's as simple as that, though, right? Because I do believe kind of just getting back to the idea that he inherited such a mess. Adam, you are 100% correct. He held on to Marcel Yates far too long. In fairness, though, you know, there very well could have been a mutiny going on in the locker room if Marcel Yates left. I mean, yeah, right, they there might was... have lost Tony Fields. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good de- point. Their defense might have underperformed. My God. <laughs> well, and then, so, Brett, I mean, to that point, what's funny is it's like anytime we were on the verge of being like, oh, my God, get him out of there, uh, a Cal game would happen in his first season, right, where we'd win yeah. 24-14, 24-17 out of nowhere. It's like, okay, well, of course, Cal is not, you know, this this uh, you know barn-burning well, offense. Texas but Tech last season. Texas Tech last season. UCLA last season. I mean, there was always some game that threw us off the scent. And in fairness <laughs> to Kevin Sumlin, it was always hard to figure out exactly when was the right time to do it, pull the plug. I mean, hindsight, right? I mean, in retrospect, God, get, get him out, right? Obviously, like if we could have done that a long time ago, obviously we probably should have. But um, it's just I, I think that finally those pieces are in place. When you talk about finally the defensive people are in place, uh, defensive coaches, that is, um, recruiting class, whether or not you want to call it momentum, I, I prefer to call it mo- mo- momentum because I'm a bit of an optimist, I guess. But I also think that that is somewhat of a realistic take. Um, and I also think this whole COVID thing, right? I mean, yeah, this year, I would have said that that this year defensively, the the, the defensive coaching staff should not – it would have been too difficult to grade them – you know, give them like a pass fail even, right? Like there had to be some kind of scale for them, just given the lack of depth first year, right? So take that and compound it with the whole idea that this COVID thing's going on and you're just losing practices left and right. You're not even going to have the full full, full body of work, all the roster out there. So I, it's, it's really tough to say. That's a very long-winded way of saying, um, I believe no matter what. And then to your point too, Brett, which is also very valid, the, the financials involved, he, he'll be here next year too. And I think that's, I'm totally cool with it. Now, Brett, before you respond, we got to take one more break. Ronnie, you want to stick around for the rest of the show? Let's do it. Brett, you cool with that? You guys best friends now? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's take <laughs> no, one actually, more break. Adam, Adam, you could just leave. Me and Ronnie will just finish it. <laughs> we just want to hang out, man. All right, well, we'll take one more break. And when we come back, it'll be the Brett and Ronnie show on Wildcat Radio 2.0. And we're back. Uh, Adam has left us. It's now the Ronnie and Brett best friend hour uh, because in traditional sense, Adam introduces me to someone and I then befriend them and cut Adam out of that whole whole situation. So, Ronnie, we're talking football. <laughs> Football's so, in the air, Brett. It, it, it is in the air, but it is intermixed with coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm hope- just kidding, guys. Adam Green is still here. We didn't <laughs> cut him out. But and sadly, looks- though, you're, like, you bring it back. wasn't really any worse than I would do. It probably was better. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best part is, uh, listeners, we're, we're on video uh, chat on Skype, and you can see Adam both like laughing and being kind of sad at the truth of, of, of us becoming best friends landing. Wasn't there, like, uh, isn't always a hint of truth to all, to all the best jokes? Isn't that what they say? Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, uh, real quick before we move on, and, and, and this is it on the schedule stuff. Um, I'm reading that ESPN just released the ESPN F 
PI projections, right? So basically just the probability of each game. And they did this for each Arizona game, okay? So, um, Brett, let's start with you because you and I are becoming best friends and Adam will be gone in no time. You guys are fine. (laughs) Um, Of the 10 games, obviously we are all familiar with the schedule at this point. Um, How many games would you guess that Arizona has a 50% or better chance of winning, according to ESPN's projection? I'm going to say... No, and, no. W- and, 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 sorry, and who are those games? Because this is interesting. I'm going to go with two, and I'm going to say Colorado and UCLA. Adam? I would say, well, to be fair, I've kind of already seen this article a little bit, but the only games I would think ahead of time would really be Colorado. Like, that's it because it's at home. UCLA being on the road, I think, would put them under... 50%. So I think I would think Colorado is the only game they'd be favored to win right now. Colorado, uh, ESPN gives us a 68.2% chance of beating Colorado. Once again, bad. the game is at home, so that's not right. I mean, this, this is what we've been hammering on. Um, Brett, UCLA, because that is on the road, would be my guess. They're giving us a 37.3% chance. I will give you guys each one more guess. We are... 50% or better on two games, Colorado being one, who is the second? Brett? Like, yeah. I've so, seen the so article, my, so, so I can't I can't give you this one. So, so my two-game prediction was right, so I'm going to call that a, a half win. Go uh, for it. <laughs> uh, I mean, the obvious answer would be Oregon State on the road. What would ASU at home in week one at 52.5% do for you? It would do a lot of things for my emotional well-being. I kind of like it. I mean, I I actually, I'm totally cool if, if the season gets canceled because I'll take this as a win because I will rub that all over ASU Arizona fans. wins That's that great. game. I'm going to write a column about how brilliant it was to have the Territorial Cup in week one. So <laughs> exactly. if, if, we go, if we beat ASU in week one and then the season gets called in January, guys, we're driving to California. We're going to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I, I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, so, sorry for derailing that. I just read that, and I, I thought that was really interesting. So real-time stuff there. Somewhere somewhere on the Twitter machine, ASU bros are freaking the hell out at ESPN. <laughs> but that, that's got to be the home field thing, right? Which is yeah. weird because home field advantage isn't exactly the normal home field advantage. But I think that speaks to there's a lot of hype over ASU. This isn't an ASU podcast, but like there's a lot of hype surrounding them. But the reality, at least so far, has been they're decent. You know they're they're a solid team, but they haven't been overwhelming either the last two seasons. So for them to they should have lost at U of A the first time they played U of A. So the last time they were in Tucson, they didn't exactly crush the Wildcats last season in Tempe. So I mean, it's uh, Adam. I, I I think it's the home thing, the rivalry thing, and I think it's probably largely also the piece that hey, this is a team coming off a seven and five regular season. They won some games they shouldn't have, and they probably lost some games they shouldn't have. Seven and five is a fair representation of where this team is. That is also the same record, I believe, as they were the year before. Um, we're not talking about a team coming off a ten and two record. I mean, I understand, like you know, they're they're just overflowing with youth. But I, you know, uh, hey, we once also had uh, you know an an, an all conference. Uh, freshman quarterback and won the South, and we know what that did for us. So I mean, it brought us nowhere. So I'm not, you know, a new Solomon. I had to plug it. You know, I'm a big You're a new, new guy, new, though. Uh, 
Yeah, no, that's it. But hey, facts are facts. We we've also been down this road with a freshman quarterback with success. <laughs> if if ASU goes seven and five again, do we start calling Herm Edwards the Jeff Fisher of the Pac-12? I'm just same yes. record year in year out. That's great, and, and yeah, that, that's basically mediocre, right? I mean, seven and five because you get a you get a cupcake game. I mean, that's yeah, to yeah. Be seven fair, and five I is basically every, six and six. Every Arizona fan gladly takes seven and five right now. I'm. Like, yeah, I'm, I, mean, I guess I, I should watch my tone. I'm, I shouldn't knock 7-5. <laughs> and five. There is some other news that has come out over the last week, guys. Um, I guess the most interesting stuff is somewhat COVID-related, somewhat, I mean, it's big-picture stuff. Um, we could start with a super local. Jaden Mitchell, Arizona wide receiver, came out and talked about he had COVID-19, and he went through his struggle, and that kind of led into why he joined in with this Pac-12 group of players who are – making demands for the con- from the conference before they get back on the field. I guess we knew that when Arizona, when they brought players back in, I mean, they had said three players or three people had tested positive for COVID-19. They obviously didn't say who it was. There's probably some legal things and privacy matters with there. But Jaden Mitchell talked about what he went through, and basically he described hell, you know, like how much weight he's lost and how he's like, dude, people need to take this thing seriously. He also said he wants to play. People want to play, but they want to do this safely. But – to hear that, and I know, like, the three of us, we've taken this thing seriously. We're doing everything we can, you know, wearing masks, distancing, and all that. But here's a, a college athlete, so significantly younger than we are. And not to speak for you guys, but I think I can f- safely say in much better shape than we are. And COVID-19 did a number on him. So to kind of get that look at that, I, I would like to think that that should impact how people look at not only COVID-19, but the idea of playing football during a pandemic. Yeah. Can we, t- can we talk about how he lost, he says he lost what 14 pounds in three weeks with COVID. And that may not sound like that much. People think, Oh, football players are, you know, these big guys. Jaden Mitchell's listed weight is 175. And that might be inflated. Cause he's like a, and he's a wide receiver. He does not, he's a D one athlete. He does not have that much body weight to lose. You know, he was not a 20% body fat guy. That's that's a serious loss in in, uh, in body mass, and that's you know that's that's an indication of how severe it is, and like one of those things that is an unknown for these players and athletes that have aspirations and want to play, you don't know what the long term implications are, are going to be for some of these guys that have those kind of severe reactions, even for like their cardiovascular system, like their lung capacity. Right? It's it's a lot more complicated, and it's a, it's kind of frightening. Yeah. No. I I it's this whole thing is just so unknown and uh you know i i really want to try to steer away from from the political aspect of this but um i mean i i guess it's it just to the point where we are five months into this thing and and obviously it should be taken seriously and, and and i think that it's uh very important uh to hear from first answers especially for somebody who's going to go out there and who's sacrificing uh you know risking uh, maybe getting it again, right? I mean, there, we, we don't know if, if you get it once, you're done, right? So, I mean, there's been stories of people who have contracted it more than once and, you know, you, you suffer with it. But, um, no, I, I, I think that, uh, Adam, t- to your point, right, uh, of the question is, um, I mean, it's scary business. And, and, and of course, the NCAA came out today and, and you know, had this set list of, you know, whatever, bullet point by bullet point of just obvious things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, hygiene, you know, distancing as you can, Facebook, you know, whatever, just all the standard stuff. But then it went on to say that, uh, that, that the universities cannot make 
student athletes sign waivers. And in my mind, that that changes everything because obviously from the get-go of this whole thing is the liability. What What is the liability on the school, on the conference, just on the sport altogether? And there is a lot of liability here because, uh, Brett, I mean, to your point, we don't know what really overall what sort of long-term implications there are. Um, and if, 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 if these players, and by the way, the players should not be forced or, or, or you know, uh, coerced in, into signing something that gives Agreed. up their right. I mean, th- that's insane, but I, I mean, it's sad that that actually has to be stated. Um, but I'm glad it was stated just in case there was any gray area on it. Um, but I mean, th- I mean that in itself right there, I mean, I, I think that that probably tips the scale and, and I, I just don't see it. I don't see a season happening because of it. Yeah, the, the funny thing is, and we've talked about it on this podcast over the last couple of weeks, is where it's a different thing for pro, te- for pro sports and pro athletes, right? Where they're, they're paid, they have a certain amount of capacity, but you got 65 power conference football teams with 100 guys you know, on the roster, plus 50-plus coaches and support staff. And you, gotta, you also got to have tests for all those people. You got to find a way to isolate them. You got to try to mitigate that risk if you're going to try to do it. And you start to unintentionally reveal the, shall we say, blurred line between student-athlete and pro-athlete when it comes to college football. And I think that kind of leads to you know some of the stuff that came in the news this week with some of the Pac-12 players having some demands. And some of it was you know, health COVID-related. Some of it was you know, otherwise. You know, maybe not the best time to try to make the play for uh, getting half of the revenues when the revenues might be zero or a loss. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's bringing to the surface a lot of uncomfortable truths about the nature of college sports, um, for these big money sports. But, you know, it's at the end of the day, these, these are, you know, teenagers and early 20 year old guys that have hopes and aspirations, very few of whom are going to be in the pros. And we all just really want them because we love college football. We want that and crave that entertainment, right? But what, what but, you're starting mm-hmm. to see, though, is the NCAA is pretending to try to get a handle on this. Like, they came out with their uh, deadlines, guidelines, and all that. And they did set an August 21st deadline for decisions on all sports. So, basically, like, you have to know in the next almost, I guess, a little more than two weeks from the time we're recording what they're going to do. Now, we've seen schools, UConn, decide they're out. They're not playing football this season. CF schools, like, similar issue. And I, what's disappointing is when this all started in March, we knew football was so far away. And, of course, in Arizona, we also care about basketball, too, and that was really far away. Like, it was disappointing to lose out on the championships and for golf and softball and baseball and the March Madness. Like, that, that hurt. But we knew football especially. Like, fall was a long time away. And I imagine a lot of college, NCAA, was hoping the same thing. Like, oh, well, with enough time, we won't have to worry about this. You know, by the time August rolls around, this will be over with. We can just our schedule like normal. Now they're realizing, well, that's not the case. So now what do we do? And we're starting to see that. And the idea of they're not going to let make players sign waivers, that's a good thing. But that's also that's an obvious thing. And by setting these deadlines, it certainly gives the idea that, like, I don't like we were talking about. I don't see Arizona playing ASU on September 26th. It's hard to imagine the state of Arizona being good enough in two months' time to handle a football game. But this is the NCAA saying they don't imagine it's going to be that way either, right? You set these guns. If you make everyone adhere to them, college sports aren't happening while this is a a pandemic, right? Because you can't expect entire football teams or then all these other teams too, all these other programs 
to be able to isolate, to socially distance, to do everything the right way. These are college kids. They're going to go to parties. They're going to <laughs> hang out with you. Like, that's why, like, Jaden Mitchell, it's cool to, like, not cool to, but it's important to read what he says. Like, he, I don't know how he got it, but he's in the age group that probably doesn't think this is a problem, doesn't really worry about it. I mean, that's why wouldn't you? We were all that age. We probably were thinking, oh, that will be fine. It's just a flu. It's a cold. I'll get over it. And he explained, like, this can be really bad. But there's going to be a lot of players who don't hear those words or don't believe in it and go do the same thing. And all it takes is we've seen, like, was it Rutgers had their issue? Clemson's had their issue? Like, all it takes is one or two players going into that team, and now everyone's infected. The Miami Marlins, for instance. And that's a professional team. So I think the NCAA is trying to get a handle on this, but there's no way they can. So they're putting out these guidelines, but it's, it's good to have guidelines. But I would not expect enough programs to be able to adhere to them, enough players to be able to do it to where it's safe and also fair to them to try to have these seasons. I, you know, it, it, I, I, I will say I, I appreciate what NCAA came out with as far as the guidelines and stuff. But, but is it just not par for the course for them to not, you know, just just lacking the testicular fortitude as far as like just absence of leadership to just come in and say like, you know what, guys? Like, we can't do it. Like, we, we got to shut it down. You know, it's like you know, it's it's this half in, half out thing. And you know, like, yeah, we we aren't um, we aren't stable enough of an organization to to make the decision. So we're gonna delegate that, right? Like, you guys just figure it out, type thing. And it's just on par with the NCAA. Fine, you know, whatever. But I do appreciate it because it kind of sets the tone. And and frankly, I mean, I think that it probably it's it's pretty imminent at this point right i mean the, i i have been pretty blown away by the nba okay the nba and really the nhl as well right just being able to isolate bubble up all that thing um chris mannix i was listening to an interview with him uh sports illustrated writer beat writer for the nba uh and he was saying that he's in the bubble and at the time of the interview he was on his last day of quarantine and everything that he had researched and been told the nba put 300 million dollars into their bubble and look what happens, right? I mean, if, if you do it right, that'll work. Of course, the question then becomes, can you do it with football where the rosters are easily, what, 7X for college anyway, 7X that of, you know, the uh, the NBA? It, it's, it's just way too hard to manage. I mean, the bubble, honestly, is the only way that this thing's going to work. Mm-hmm. And it's just you, you can't do that Larry Scott even came out and said, I mean, Frank, point blank, you can't do that with student athletes. And I mean, the NFL is not. Not even uh, not even considering it. So I mean, no, it it just uh, I'm with you, Adam. It's it I it just I don't see it. I, well, I, I can't see it. If you can't force students to be on campus, you can't force student athletes to be on campus and playing their sport, right? If you're gonna be under the guise of amateurism, and it's mm-hmm. you know, and to your point on the NCAA, I think it's just par for the course of everything. Coronavirus is that nobody actually wants a person that takes the the. I'm wavering between wanting to call it the realistic or the non-optimistic outlook of, and to make the hard decision for everybody that is going to be unpopular, but it's probably necessary for most of these things. You know, I mean, the bubbles seem to work, but to your guys' point, how do you, there's the, the cost to bubble that many people for that many teams across that many states, and don't even go into the fact that you'd have to be testing all of those 200 people per team per week, you know, for for four four months, right? Like, do the math on that, and then say, is is that a better use of those tests than 
hospital workers, right? <laughs> or like pe- people that are sick at hospitals or trying to test and trace and get the disease under control. It just, it's, it, I, I hope we have football, but I just don't think it's probably going to happen. And I think that they're going to NCAA is going to set that deadline for August 21st until they say it's August 28th, until they say it's September 3rd. <laughs> you know when I think it, they really pull the plugs when enough players opt out? Because players will. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that's why the NCAA, why these conferences tried to squeeze in a season this calendar year is because they know if they try to do it next spring, a lot of players top talent are going to opt out. They're like, you know, we're just going to prepare for the NFL draft, like forget college. So trying to squeeze it in. But if you're, I mean, like Kevin Doyle opted out from Arizona. And that's, that's not noteworthy other than the fact that this is a player saying, you know what? And in his statement, he's like, if NFL players who get paid and have all the testing and all the resources in the world are saying it's not safe enough to play, then why do I think it's safe enough for me in college? Right? Like there's going to be enough players who start to have that perspective. And when, the big stars say that, and when enough say they're like, they're going to be like, well, we just can't do this. And, of course, bubbles work because bubbles are essentially what they've been telling us to do from the beginning. Like, <laughs> isolate could have the virus and just do that. Like, they just happen to be doing it on a large scale at, like, Disneyland or, like, what the NHL is doing. But that's essentially what works. Like, of course it works because if you can't get the virus from someone who doesn't have it, and if they're all isolated, then none of them have it. That's it's just you can't ask college kids that you can't ask the program. We've talked about this, Ronnie, on this show. I know you're a big listener. Is that if all it takes is one program to mess it up, all it takes is Washington to have an outbreak and to find out about after they played Arizona or for Arizona to have an outbreak. And you don't find out because of the gestation period, you know, of the 14 days. Now you played someone else and now you've exposed two teams. And because they played someone else, they exposed another team. And that's just how this grows. So. Like We all want to see football. Every one of us, for different reasons, but we all want to see football. It's just really difficult to imagine it happening, and that's when we talk about the schedule, is that, okay, there's 10 games scheduled, and even Michael Crow, oh, less than a week after schedule, was say, he's like, yeah, we're probably not going to be playing on September 26th. But then why was it scheduled that way, right? There's already that pessimistic tone, and you have to make, you want to be optimistic, but you kind of have to be pessimistic. Because just there's so much that can go wrong. Everything has to go right for things to work out the way they're scheduled. Like everything. And probably some things we're not even thinking about have to go right. And if one little thing goes wrong, you don't have a sport. You don't have football. By the way, Adam, that whole time we were talking about how the schedule is already getting like, you know, critiqued by uh, Michael Crow. I just had the image of of, uh, time as a flat circle from uh, True Detective. And that's just what it's going to be like in the fall. We're going to be like, everything's going to go on pause. They're just going to start and stop. And then at some point, it's just going to probably get get called. Right? Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, Brett, I, I, I think that what you touched on as far as, you know, we set the deadline for August 21st to make the decision. And then it's August 28th. And then we're well into September. The whole idea from my, I mean, my first thought was setting this, setting up the Pac-12 schedule, right? Eliminating non-conference immediately, it's like okay, what is okay? Well, I guess you you took three games off the table, which then I guess statistically makes it less likely, right? Because there's less encounters, more back. Okay, fine, whatever <laughs> you you want to whatever you follow logic, good for you, but that's fine. Um, but but to me, the biggest thing was postponing it, right? Because this whole idea now is let's just keep pushing it off as far as we can until we absolutely can not do it anymore and we have to pull the plug that's it and that's why i don't see this working because 
football players, athletes, they're routine-based, right? And you prepare for a game. You have game week. You're getting ready for that. And if you don't know you're going to play, how can you really prepare? How can you really be at your best? Like if That's why I think Michael Crow's point that he was saying that he thinks it's going to get postponed. Okay, well, but now are these players preparing for a game on September 26th? Or are they preparing for a game the following week? And it just changes everything. And just... There's so many unknowns for good reason. Like I don't blame anyone. I don't think any of us do for them not knowing what to do or how things are going to go. But I just like even the NCAA's rules, what they have to have. You know, fifty percent or more of or more of eligible teams in our particular sport in a division cancel their fall season. There'll be no fall NCAA championship in that sport in that division. So fifty percent, right? Half the teams in the conference could be doing things right, but if half of them aren't, then it just it's all over. It doesn't matter. So that's what everyone's relying on each other. And with enough players, we're talking about football specifically. There's so many players involved. It's just impossible. Like, again, baseball couldn't even get through a week. They couldn't even get through a weekend of baseball before they're like, well, we got positive cases here. And like, they've been doing this for a while. They know what they're doing. They're professionally paid. What are we expecting college athletes to do? You know, and they might be more likely to be asymptomatic, some of them, and they just won't know. They won't care. Some of them we've seen on social media now don't actually believe in it to begin with. So, like, it's just everyone, I guess, we have good intentions with wanting football. The NCAA has financial motivation. So I'm not going to say their intentions are pure. But we, most of us fans, media, want to see football. We enjoy the sport. And obviously we want to see these players have a chance to play the game they love. But it just seems like a tall order. It's a big ask to be able to get it done without a bubble. And you're not going to bubble college football. Yeah, I, I personally look forward to the awkward period of time after schools cancel all fall sports except for football and then try to make an argument that it's not about money. Because you know that's, you know that's an inevitability. And it's yeah. just going gonna to be left going, uh, all right, I guess we're going to cancel everything. After they get reamed in the in the media, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's 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 a mess, and uh, you know, obviously, it's a week by week thing, but um, it, it will be interesting to see which of because it doesn't seem like um, it'll be one plug for everything, and what I mean by that is, you know, it, it kind of seems like it almost be like the Big Ten was the first domino, It'll be like, all right, non conference off the table, we'll go in conference only. So it, in my mind, it's like, all right. Who's gonna be the Who's gonna be man enough to stand up and be like, we can't do it? Who's gonna be the Randy Edsel, you know, the, the UConn head coach that yeah. just pulls the plug? And no one wants to be the one that does it, but everyone I think probably knows it has to be done, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no yeah. one wants to be the one like, yep, it's because of me. But they're all just waiting for someone to lead, which is a shame because these people are getting high power positions and getting paid a lot of money to lead. But no, because I mean, there's there's a lot of money at stake here. Like, let's be honest, we all know that. Like these universities rely on athletics, money. They rely on college football. We all want the same thing. We all want it to happen, but it's just hard to be optimistic right now. Yeah, no, I, I mean that that makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I get it. I I want college football, right? I want the NFL because I, unfortunately, I'm probably addicted to fantasy football, and maybe this would actually be a good thing for me to have respite from that. But um, it's just all in all, it can't happen, right? Hey, I, 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 hey. say, I can't see it. I can quit fantasy football anytime I want. I just do it because it's it's, it's a fun time, Ronnie. I can quit though. <laughs> yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Ronnie Stoffel, and uh, I, yeah, right. No, I. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, um, now, how about this? Um, one month from now uh, is basically Labor Day. Football? Yes or no? 
Not on Labor Day, but they're not scheduled for that. The Big Ten is. The Big Ten came out today saying that, uh, was it OSU or Michigan was actually going to be playing on Labor Day? Oh, (laughs) there shouldn't be. I I think (laughs) there's a high chance of some games getting played. I I think the most likely outcome, because to your point, Ronnie, nobody wants to make the call. I think there's going to be some games played, and then the cases are going to probably blow up. You know, even when they're like, "Oh, these two teams don't have the cases," it's 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 something that's just so hard to control. I think I think they're going to inevitably do it, and then then it's going to get pulled. That that seems like the most likely scenario, but who knows? Hopefully, we're wrong, right? Like we can be pessimistic. Hopefully, football does happen, and the virus continues to drop, and they can do it safely. And there are going to be some schools that do it safely, right? That's going to happen, and like Arizona. Seems to have done a good job of so far. Yeah. As they bring more players back on campus and have more, it's going to be harder and harder. But they seem to have done a good job, and there's going to be schools who do a good job. But all it takes is that one that doesn't, and that one spreads. And again, these are these are people's lives. <laughs> like, yes, we know them as football players and as student athletes and people that we root for or curse on the TV when they don't do well. But they're at they're play, they're people. And we don't want them to have to risk their lives with a, you know, a potentially deadly or at least debilitating virus just for football. Like, that's not fair. And I think we all understand that. And that's a perspective that maybe you start to get as you get older <laughs> and have other responsibilities and things going on. But it's, that's something to keep in mind that, yes, they're football players, but they're people first. And this virus also affects football players, also affects professional athletes and people who are in great shape. And like Jaden Mitchell talked about that and other people have too. like Aaron Baines on the Suns talked about it. Uh, Freddie Freeman on the Atlanta Braves talked about it. Like he had it like it happens. It affects a lot of people differently, but it affects them nonetheless. Well said. Oh, well, if that, if that's it guys, I, I think we're about <laughs> ready to wrap up the show. I don't know if there's really anything else we need to talk about. Ronnie, we get you once every I guess eight months, nine months on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Is there anything you you wanted to talk about before we wrap things up? No, no. It's just um, I Stuart Mandel might be right because there's probably not going to be a season. Go figure. He was he, he, he was uh, one for twelve on those predictions. So so I guess good for him. I don't know. <laughs> Brett, anything from your end? No, I just I want to thank my new best friend Ronnie for coming on. Um, you know. If I don't return your text as, as often or as quickly, Adam, no, it is it is a little bit personal because he's my new best friend. I just assumed you lost my number. Like I, like, I miss you. I mean, I'm pretty sure when you texted the group of your groomsmen and, uh, and, uh, or asked people to be the groomsmen, I just responded to the group text of, who is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's actually, that, that did happen. Um, but everyone, thank you for listening. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. Obviously, if you have any questions, hit us up on the Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. Um, be listening to the channel as well. We got more of those play-by-plays of old U of A basketball games, the fun ones that Brian and the gang are doing. There's just plenty of content on the channel. Smash that subscribe button, as they say. You can find us on pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. And otherwise, Ronnie, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll um, yeah, we'll we'll have to do this again here, uh, probably a little bit when once we get closer to the uh, potential kickoff date. We'll see, <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure more, uh, there, there will be plenty of plenty of developments. I'm sure. So yeah, we'll have to do this again for sure. And Brett, uh, I, I miss you already. <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. <laughs>
Well, and with that, everyone, remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>